My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Devine. Today I'm joined by Seb Stafford-Blore. Morning, Joe. Hello. Hello. And uh, Alex Stewart. Morning. Yeah, and hopefully, I mean, we've tried to get the framing right. You can probably see piles of books everywhere because we don't have any tripods and uh, all of our cameras and phones are balanced on what looks like decades of knowledge. You know what? It looks like an affectation. It's... Genuinely necessary. <laughs> it yeah. It's not like one of those faux pubs that tries no, to appear no, no. old. No, it really is old. Wall and, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is actually how it is. Most of these books have been read as well. That's, yeah. So, yeah. Sure. Not like the ones in my house. No, <laughs> not like the ones in my house. Yeah, but sure. the ones in my office, yes. Mm, lovely. Okay, well, we are here today to talk about uh, Watford, which is going to be quite fun. I must admit, uh, before we get started today, that uh, I knew... Shamefully little about Watford before we started uh, researching for today's podcast, and there's quite a lot of, of uh, particularly regarding owners, the Potsos, there's quite a lot of funny stuff. So for the first uh, few moments, uh, I hope that uh, learned Watford fans will bear with us, uh, for the three of us, and also for, uh, <laughs> for any listeners here who, who maybe aren't so au fait with, uh, with the Potsos. I'm just going to briefly read through a list of things that I learned yesterday about the Potsos. I cannot believe that Tifo has not made a video about this, something perhaps we should rectify in the future. I'm also going to have to try and avoid potentially libelous stuff that I might have written down as I'm reading. So it might sound a bit... We'll have a signal in the background that one of Alex or I will make if you you encroach on something. Just start screaming if I say something illegal. Okay, the Potsos, they owned three clubs until 2016 when they sold Granada, which was their Spanish arm of the sort of triangle of clubs. In 2018... There was a criminal investigation which took place in Spain and Italy looking into financial irregularities involving Granada and Udinese. And I can't read the next sentence because that's not cool. But the irregularities show <laughs> uncounted for various transactions, blah, 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 lots of money. Where did that go? That's confusing. Hmm. What's happening here? I can't say it out loud. Uh, but uh, nothing nothing ever came of it, guys. There was also a situation in uh, 2016 with an infamous bank letter, which is okay to talk about, uh, which was supposed to prove... Uh, it's, I suppose it's a bit like um, proving to your bank when you get a mortgage that you've got an income. It was supposed to prove that uh, Gino Pozzo, who was the son of Gianpaoli Pozzo, had the, uh, had the funding to be able to take over the club from his dad. And so I guess this is... This is one of the sort of checks and balances of um, the, the football league before they allow an owner to come in. Yeah. And it was, it was found a couple of years after it had been submitted and accepted that the bank letter from HSBC, and I say that in air quotes for anyone not watching the video, um, was a, a fraud. And uh, they didn't even bank with HSBC, they banked with another bank. And uh, the letter was, uh, was forged... Uh, from a department that don't even deal with that sort of thing anyway, so I don't know how it went unnoticed for two years. Um, they were fined £4 million, I think, for that. Nothing else came of it, as far as I'm aware, and Gino Pozzo is, is still heavily involved in the club. There's a few more things as well. Uh, the family have been under tax inspection in the past. Gianpaoli was uh, 
banned as sorry you might, might need to take over for this one from in the 90s Seb. so there was a uh, instant um there's a, a phone call <clears throat> in the mid 90s which was recorded between him and the then president of lazio and uh it was uh, the implication was that there was a match fixing agreement between the two of them and so he was he was banned from being a president he can still own clubs right <clears throat> My voice is gone already. It's only, it's, it's, only, it's only quarter past nine. Um, he was he was banned from being a president, but he he, he can uh, he can still own clubs, right? Due to so. to alleged involvement in alleged, match fixing. alleged, alleged. I mean, in in the big book of uh, Italian match fixing incidents of that period, it's a, a fairly minor. Sure, uh, but uh, yes, it, it did happen. Okay, um, okay. So something something to read about, rather than me to sort of clumsily talk <laughs> my way through or into a into a big hole somehow. But yeah, of course, the other stuff about Watford, and this is something I was aware of, although I didn't really understand. Um, I didn't understand the the, the structure behind it. Uh, but there there were not so much today. We should stress, but in the past, pre twenty sixteen, uh, mainly there were lots of loan signings between the three clubs yeah. that that were owned. And you know, I suppose one way of looking at it looking at that situation is it was very beneficial to the clubs involved because it enabled the you know particularly Watford to you know potentially excel up the league in a way that they they may not have otherwise um so yeah I mean look let's let's round that off which unfortunately as, as we said is a lot of stuff which will be difficult to talk about for two reasons one I don't think anyone here uh is an expert no. two uh, it's shaky legal ground, and I'd be worried about saying something that uh, that we should. Well, you know, also, you know, my 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 um, my perception of, of Watford is wholly positive, mm. really. And and so, I mean, we mentioned this stuff. We're not. This isn't going to be a kind of a, a precursor to a. Um, it's not a takedown. You know, exactly. We're not damning the neophytes. We're just. It's uh, just quite uh, funny. Uh, you know, it, it's it's just interesting, and it's also kind of. And you know it's, it's right to stress it. Also, um, no one appears to have been hurt. Well, and also given given what football is, and in the context of football, this is yeah. fairly unremarkable stuff. Sure, um, and that's sad. If a bit it's, unusual, it's unusual. It's notable. We have to mention it, but we're not. Um, mm. This is not in any way going to be an attack on Watford. No, well, in fact, my strange paragraph ends by saying that uh, Gina Pozzo apparently lives in Watford mm-hmm. and um, is, is heavily involved in the, the running of the club. Do you, do you know the ex- extent of his involvement? Because we do see with other clubs in the Premier League that uh, there is a bit of a disparity between teams who have uh, an invested, mm-hmm. uh, engaged mm-hmm. owner and those who don't. You know, Stan Kroenke, for example. Or, I mean, so I understand. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I know anecdotally about it. I mean, he is reportedly um, at Watford's Colney training ground most days. He works from there. Right. Um, he also he is an active part of the scouting model. Um, so I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about that in more we detail. Are. But um, at the top of uh, um, Watford's scouting system sits a kind of uh, a, uh, a, a, I suppose, three elders. So you've got um, Scott Duxbury, who's the the, um, the chairman and chief executive. Um, you've got Gino Pozzo himself, and you've got a, a, a Santiago Giraldo, who is a uh, I suppose I'm not quite sure what his job title is, but he's essentially a head scout, head of head of. Uh, he's like a, a technical director. Um, he used to work for Brescia before he came to um, Watford slash Udinese. Um, so he's very involved, and also you know another thing we'll probably discuss a lot is that um, when when the when, when the Pozzo family bought into Watford, the accusation was right. Well, you know, like a lot of other investors from overseas, they're going to trample over the, the native culture and um, and disregard everything from Watford's past and use it for their own means. And that's really not the case. There's a sort of um, there's a real determination. And it's evident when you go there. There's a real determination um, to preserve the past and to look after um, 
you know the, the memories you know uh, forged during that period so sort of you know, it was the the, the Pozo family who 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 uh, commissioned the uh, the Graham Taylor statue which sits outside Vicarage Road now mm. um, if you go into the new stand the redeveloped stand um, there are pictures of Elton John absolutely everywhere I mean it's named after him of course but it, it, it's sort of there is no sense that this is a kind of right well there's no BCAD crossover at Watford where mm. um, the Michael Jackson is... statue hasn't been brought down <laughs> with Fulham. <laughs> no, I just you know I'm using that as a, figuratively, as a, as a metaphor. Figuratively, no, it's there, there, there's there's nothing like that, and it's um, mm. yeah, it's absolutely one of my favourite clubs to visit because of that. Mm. Um, so okay, yeah, so he's very involved. Well, fill me in then. Uh, well, let's go back a, a, a couple of years, a few years, and talk about the. The earlier situation when when Granada was still part of, of right. the cluster, which is which uh, the Pozzo family have, have moved on from now, they, they've yeah. sold Granada. Um, but there there were quite a lot of loan moves between the three clubs, particularly from Udinese to Watford. Yeah, uh, and it got to such an extent that the, the football league stepped in at one point, didn't they, and, and changed the rules? Yeah, there's something. The actual technique. Forgive me, that aspect of it, I don't know an awful lot about, mm-hmm. but. Um, while it's kind of seen as a, whenever that sort of situation exists, when you've got sort of three clubs and this flow of talent between them, it's always portrayed as like a almost unfair advantage. Mm. But Watford, there's um, anyone interested would, would do well to actually read the the extract from Michael Calvin's latest book, State of Play, in which he, he sits down with Scott Duxbury and they talk about um, they talk about the mentality behind these things. And one thing's, I mean, Duxbury comes across quite well there are moments when you know he's he's quite aggressive with sort of his attack on kind of uh, uh, traditional footballing ideals so you know the, the value of an academy for instance and um, you know long term legacy and management that kind of stuff he, he doesn't really believe in that what he says is he, he sort of he, he's very astute in recognising Watford's place in the um, in the food chain and that that kind of applies equally to Udinese and Granada I mean they weren't all at the same level, but none of them would be considered sort of um, apex predators by any means in their own leagues. And so, I think what the um, you know what, what one of the aims was kind of you you have this flow of talent, and one of the the areas Duxbury sort of um, has always targeted with alongside uh, Gino Pozo and Giraldi is is South America. Mm. When you bring a South American player into mainland Europe, one of the problems, of course, is work permits, and the regulations are different in Spain and to the, how they are in England. Um, and also, if you think about a, a player's sort of technical evolution from from South American football, um, if you, for instance, someone like um, well, the the, the, um, the best example is probably Adalberto Penarando, who you know, just hugely talented South American player, um, but has struggled for a work permit um, since arriving. He didn't fit the sort of the international criteria. He didn't quite play enough games. He has now been granted one. But for someone like that, when they come over, you can identify the talent. But does that necessarily mean that, you know, Watford would sign him and then think, right, this is someone that's suitable to play in English football in the Premier League? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So one of the advantages of, of, of owning Granada was that you, you can have as a sort of soft landing mm. in European football so that you, you, you put a player from South America in an environment where he speaks the language. There's less of a cultural adjustment for him. Mm. It's easier for his family potentially. There are all kinds of benefits. It's not just. I, I think one well, of we the, know this about Portugal as well as, exactly as, a, as a prime location for Brazilian absolutely, talent coming absolutely. in. Absolutely, and, and for all the same reasons too. And and it, it makes a lot of sense. And also, um, it makes a lot of sense when you're in the position that Watford occupy, which is you cannot spend huge amounts of money. They're not. They're not a. 
they're not an elite club financially and they probably never will be but these are the kind of little advantages that you can get so one of the issues that sort of a, a Manchester United, Manchester City um, subject themselves to is, is wastage. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a, a network which kind of, which tries to eliminate some of the, um, the the inefficiencies associated with the transfer market, then that's a very effective tool in trying to close the, the financial gap. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I understand why people reject it because it's very different. You know, the old model of, right, manager picks player, signs player, plays mm-hmm. for club, great. We have almost this kind of um, reflexive um, distaste for, for anything which is slightly different, but y- you have to be able to compete. Yeah, for some reason it, it, it seems like it's sort of cheating the rules, yeah. but it's not. No, no, no. It's, it's not. It's, it's, it's clever. It's clever. It's also, you know, Watford, um, Watford, Watford scouting extends well beyond... Um, is sort of the, the the traditional boundaries, but also it's not just about players. Like the the managers that they um, that they appoint have all been recommended by they, they have members of their scouting team who are um, who are actually designated um, to you know coaching and managerial to, to acquiring knowledge about sort of people working in the industry. And so um, you know when when when, uh, when when new candidates are interviewed, they they sort of the, that that's a little triumvirate at the top of the system are able to look at sort of video recordings of, of coaching sessions and you know they've got a big bank of like previous games which have been coached and stuff so mm. it's a smart organization like and i i think that's how you have to be and and, and you know like the stuff that we we, we open by talking with about in, in in sort of football's context of you know blundering chairman you know throwing money i mean is it that ugly i mean is it that compared to something like i don't know west ham Sure. Where it's just sort of, oh, an agent says that his player's quite good. Oh, we're going to sign him. Mm. And the, sort of the, the impression is of a club that just, that, that, yeah. that sort of, that, that are a little bit naive, whereas what well, could be the opposite. If it's that. clever, I think it sometimes appears as, as insidious. And yeah, let's be yeah. clear, we're not saying anything. No, that's absolutely. Right. No. Uh, but there, I, I, I take your point. I mean, I think, I think if, uh, yeah, as we said, if, the, if there's something slightly more intelligent about, uh, about the wrongdoing, suddenly it seems a lot more sinister. Well, wrongdoing. I mean, I, I mean, wrong, wrongdoing. <laughs> now you're verging on the. Uh... Yeah. Well, I, 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 no, I'm I, just I, saying that generally. I'm not saying that specifically. Oh, you were talking, you're talking I'm about saying in if, some, if someone generally does something wrong, but they do it in a clever way, mm. it appears to be more sort of premeditated. Uh, not that this Bond relates finish. to Watford. No, no, not, no, I'm not saying this relates to Watford. The, I'm just the, saying Watford just, and that in the same as, sentence. As, so as your attorney, I'm sure. <laughs> Strangely, the, 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 the more times he says, I'm not referring to Watford, the more it seems that he kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> no, just well, to be Watford, clear, though. There's no wrongdoing. It's, 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 a, it's a, you know, I mean, this is a post-Despiegel revelation world. Mm. You know, so everything. You seem so cynical all of a sudden, Seb. <laughs> this is a different side I, of you. Honestly, I I, 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 have great admiration for what for what they're doing. Um, mm. Their scouting system is very smart. They, yeah, I, I think they have. Um, um, uh, forgive me if this is incorrect, but I think there are thirty-five full-time scouts working across the world. Yeah, so it's a pretty developed network, and it's. Uh, I suppose the way to look at it is, um, so Granada have been sold to um, a Chinese investor, um, but previously. Don't look at it as a kind of as a three different clubs. Look at it as a sort of a collection of knowledge, mm. almost like the old, uh, you know, like, like sort of the old the old uh, football manager mentality. When you know you're building a scouting network. Look at you, Alex. Rest an expert on that. But you know, you you um, and and you you acquire knowledge in different territories, and mm. it's just that is a smart way to go through football now. Yeah. How similar do you think it is to, and potentially even, is is there some kind of inspiration behind what? Manchester City have started to do with the acquisition or kind of sort of 
controlling shares in clubs spread out obviously there it's much more a kind of overtly branded as yeah you know a man city subset but do you think there's something in where they've looked at the watford model and gone actually you know it makes sense for us i i, I get the impression to to slightly prejudge my own answer to that would be that with man city it's more of a commercial thing exactly that. and with watford it's more of a footballing thing exactly what i was going to say right like, okay. you, you see you see watford as a a footballing as a sporting enterprise Manchester City, by all accounts, want to turn themselves into the next Disney. Manchester. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I don't. I don't mean that negatively, or well, not very negatively, at least. Yeah. Like that, that, that is kind of the aim. Manchester City want to be a content provider. Right. Watford want to be a successful football club, um, and the two are very, very different. I, I, and I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't claim to fully understand all of the motivations behind. Manchester City's network, or I wonder whether some things are, uh, are you know done probably for the the you know to to acquire footballing knowledge, but also there are financial advantages as yeah. we've read about, but shall not mention <laughs> fear of lawyers. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so the exact the exactly the same distinction that I would draw. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But look, we're talking. Oh, there's a hand dryer. Sorry for anyone who can hear that. This is the, uh, again another affectation. We don't like we. It, no. It's just we put that in. You've, you've edited that into and the also, background. Also, hygiene is very important. Yeah, it really is. And that brings us to our mid-roll sponsor. <laughs> so, no, there's no sponsor. Uh, but listen, we're talking about positive things at Watford, and uh, by by golly, should we? You look uh, so t- sad. We said there's no sponsor. <laughs> I am sad. Listen, if you if you've got a lot of money out there and you got uh, you want to get a message across, <laughs> I'm the guy. Would it need to be a lot of money? I mean, just imagine some. how imagine <laughs> yeah. how good I'd be at, uh, at sort of uh, you know selling a product for someone. I'd be great. Yeah, yeah. we could get you to we could book you into spa in the morning before we recorded the podcast. <laughs> exactly, that would be lovely. Right, tell me about the sensory room because this is something. And don't don't play with the nicotine gum thing because that's loud come on it's like you've never been on a podcast before I've done several with you right tell me about the sensory room because this is something you, you asked me to, to bring up I'm glad you did because yeah. it, seem, it seems like a great thing at the stadium yeah. will, you, will, you, will you talk us through it for people who aren't aware of what it is okay so in one of the rebuilt corners of Vicarage Road um, there's a purpose built room which is designed um, to accommodate children who are on the um, autism spectrum so that they can have a, a safe environment um, in which to watch football. Like it's, uh, I think um, I think per match it can accommodate six children and their families. Right. Uh, that might have changed. Mm. Um, but I, I think one of the reasons um, it impresses me beyond the obvious, because you know autistic children, I don't think there was much provision for them um, previously. Certainly, the the, the sensory room at Vicarage Road was, was the first of its kind in the south. Mm. Um, but I I. When you go there, you you can kind of it's you know it's labelled when 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 you when you walk into um, into the stand by the pitch, you can look up and it it fills probably I'd say half of one of the corners. Mm. Um, now football, I, I am cynical about football, and I um you know everywhere you look now there is another club trying to squeeze a little bit more money out of someone by doing something. Mm. And I look at that particularly seating space, particularly seating space. And I look at that, and I, I, at estimate, I'd say you could probably fit another fifteen hundred seats in there. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that's too many. I, I don't know, but it's certainly capacity in a ground which is really not very big. I mean, Vicarage Road is holds twenty one thousand people. Mm. Um, this is not sort of Old Trafford where you've you've you know you've already got seventy thousand paying customers coming through the door. Mm. Um, 
and it's just a it's a lovely thing i i i, I think it's a it sets a tremendous example i've never been inside i don't want to uh, infringe on you know that's that's it's really none of my business but i i think it's sort of football showing um that sometimes it's capable of thinking about something other th- than finance um and being something other than greedy and it's just it fits the picture at Watford. I mean, you when you go there, you, you I mean, it, it, it's it's old school. I mean, you know, the um, the ground is really shoved up against its community. It's kind of um, it's a little bit Goodison Park in that respect. So you know, you 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 find yourself between um, the kind of the, the typical sheds that you find at the the bottom of um, back gardens um, and this sort of this black fascia, which is ultra modern. It doesn't quite fit the community. It doesn't quite fit, sort of fit the picture. There's something in Congress <laughs> about it. But then it it is like someone has grabbed the stadium and just pushed it down in the middle of a community. Mm-hmm. And I think when you see things like that, and you, you you walk past the Graham Taylor statue and you see all the pictures of Elton John, and and you you know you see that sort of um, these local pubs and shops are still being drip fed by you know match day football and stuff. It just works, and you think, yeah, you know, the the it doesn't really fit the picture of the criticism uh, or, or sort of the image which has been built of the mm-hmm. Paizo family, mm-hmm. you know, because these are initiatives which they have, um, which they, they, which they have led and, uh, and Scott Duxbury as well, there's a lot of credit for that. And I, it's just one of those things that you dwell on. Mm-hmm. You walk into a stadium and a lot of places now, especially the, the newly built ones are very similar and there's not really nothing to see. But I remember the first time I saw it being taken back by its size, I'd read about it. But I, I sort of naively assumed oh, it would just be a you know a room somewhere which is very very small, but it's extremely prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I, I've got a picture of it that maybe we'll put up on the on the yeah, on the sure. TFO, um, on, on the on the Twitter account. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a lovely thing. Uh, well done, Watford, for that. Mm. No, it is nice. I mean, presumably being so. I mean, Watford isn't part of London, is it? Although London appears to grow. I got shouted out for this. So yeah. in my mind, it's North London purely because you go on the tube and you go north. Yeah, not Hertfordshire. It's Hertfordshire. Yes. Okay, well, one day it will be part of London. A lot of different people have told me that. I have, I have two friends who I assume, who I would say live in London, but they actually live in Watford. Anyway. Okay. Lovely place. About this. Presumably that, that, that's massively beneficial as well, right? I mean, in terms of attracting players, I know that's not really how the club operates, but being near London, we're often, we're often here that these things are important. Well, I, I would assume it is very important in attracting players because... If your if your target environment is South America, then you're bringing a player not into a not only into a, a a new footballing culture, but a city where there are plenty of other football clubs and a lot of other South American players. Mm. So you know it's a little bit naive to think that every Argentinian player is going to going to join a sort of a big Argentinian footballer WhatsApp group and they're going to go on nights out together. But I, can, know, I think that probably is what happens. You know, I mean, we, you know, why, why, why can't Argentinian players become friends with Eric Lamella in one forty? Sure. The you know, that kind of stuff. So that's I think what, it that's helps. what everyone from Colwyn Bay does in London, yeah. even if we don't like each other. Well, the, you know what? There's um, there was a story about when 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 <laughs> I'm no longer part of the group. <laughs> You've been kicked. <laughs> You've started what new did one. you do? Nothing. Let's move on. But so, just, you know. like, as an example, when Richarlison <laughs> came to to Watford, obviously he's been sold now. When he came uh, during his first season, he actually um, he actually lost a lot of weight um, because he couldn't adapt to um, English food. Mm. Until Jorelio Gomez, who was his club captain at the time, um, sort of took him down to a, a local Brazilian food store right. and said, "Right, well, you, you can you can get everything you want here, everything that you're used to and that sure. you know." And it's that kind of stuff which is really important. And and London, there's more of that than most other places. There's a sort of yeah. there's a little support network. Kind of an informal support network, but it's it matters. I mean, there there are plenty of examples of South American players coming over to this country 
and who have just been allowed to drift. There's a mm. um, you know if anyone remembers uh, Jonathan Caleri who came over um, to West Ham a couple of years ago on loan. I mean, when when he came over, I, I think I'm right in saying that West Ham didn't even have a player liaison officer at the time, mm-hmm. and he was sort of put into a flat, and he couldn't, he didn't, um, he didn't know how to do basic stuff, which would, you know, which would occur to most people, especially definitely most people who've grown up in this country, mm-hmm. like utility bills and whatever. So you need to have a sport network, and, and London offers that. And so mm-hmm. yes, and you know, just get on the Metropolitan line, and and, and off you go. I tell you where else offers that. Uh, there's a lovely Polish shop in Ramsgate yep. for any uh, Polish players wanting to move to the UK. Maybe play at Ramsgate have a football team. I assume they do. Not a professional one. But oh, they'll be. That's by the by. No yeah, you can buy tuna. That it, it's very confusing looking. <laughs> is it tuna? <laughs> I don't know that it is, but I ate it anyway. Okay, uh, from a footballing perspective, Seth, you're someone with with not a, a particularly strong immune system. So no, you, that's you true. Know, yeah, I, I must be careful of, yeah, of what yeah, I take in. <laughs> You mentioned Goodison Park before so mm. as a comparison for Vicarage Road. Um, it's good that you did that because obviously Watford played Everton at the weekend, which is a big deal for a number of reasons. That I suppose the main one being Marco Silva. Mm. Uh, but from a footballing perspective, how have Watford excited you this season? Because they, they seem to have really kicked on under under um, Javi Gracia. Yeah, I think the, the biggest superficial difference, if you if you look at the statistics from the the previous seasons when, you know, um, Kike Sanchez-Torres, Walter Mazzari and, and Marco Silva were in charge, what you notice is that there, was, there, there wasn't much core stability. So I think last season or the season before, there were only two players in the entire squad who played more than 30 Premier League games, mm-hmm. started more than 30 Premier League games. Now, if you look at the, uh, the um, equivalent statistics this season, you see a sort of core of ever-presence. So Etienne Capua, uh, Abdullah Kouray, um, Ben Foster, Craig Cathcart, Jose Holabas. You know, the, these players are there every week. And so um, it's, there's more than one factor um, behind this. And I, I think also, you know, I, he's, a, he's a quiet manager, but Javi Garcia has done tremendous things. And I don't think we should kind of... Um, you know, dilute his impact, but you just see symptoms of continuity there, which weren't there before. Hmm. They're also better, Joe. Like they are a better side. I think they are uh, a better organisation. They they are a very very good team, and especially at home, they are. I mean, if you look at some of the results they've had against the sort of the the, the top six over the, couple, the last couple of years, mm. and one of one of Gracia's first games was to knock over Chelsea at Vicarage Road. Mm. They've beaten Spurs there this year. You know, they they are they are a very very good team with a lot of very good players in there. And I think over time they're they're often accused of being quite a transient club. You know, players coming in, players coming out. I'm not sure that's. I think it's a little bit outdated. You know, there isn't. You know, they're not each season. They're not changing four or five different players on their own side. They're not Fulham. Mm. Um, so I think sort of their scouting um, system and, and people's kind of perceptions of it creates a sort of a slight distortion. The, the idea that they're gonna they're gonna change manager and you know both centre backs, both full backs, and a midfielder every single season. It's just not really the case, or in, or at least it's become less. Less, less, and less true. Okay, Alex. Um, Seb says that. Uh, it well, that was perfect time for you to move the table and wobble your camera. It's the I, first I time. Didn't, I didn't move the table. It's the first time that we've needed your camera <laughs> in the whole podcast. It's still recording. Like there you go. That'll be nice. <laughs> Viewers will have just been treated to uh, Alex lifting the phone back up there. And uh, okay, it's authenticity. It that's really what, is. That's what it is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Please advertise with us. Um, Alex, uh, Seb says the team in terms of personnel is fairly consistent, which yes. is a nice change. Is that true of the system? Because we did make a video about Watford at the beginning of the season, 
Uh, are we still seeing similar trends now in terms of formation? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Runs so, through it. So depending on, on whether you kind of go for like the sort of who scored template for team formations or whatever, Watford are basically playing a, a kind of a narrow 4-4-2 or a 4-2-2-2. See, that, that always makes me think it's, of RB Leipzig. Is, is, am I right to do that? I mean, RB Leipzig kind of popularised that <clears throat> sense with the two kind of deeper-lying, destructive midfielders, one of whom may be a sort of press-breaking midfielder that brings the ball forwards. You've then got two effectively wide midfielders who will drift inside. Um, this is what happens with Watford. Uh, so the width with Watford comes a lot from the full-backs. Uh, Holobassi's already been mentioned. Mm-hmm. Very, very good at getting forwards and, and crossing the ball. On the right-hand side, either Kiko Femenia, a young Spanish guy, or Daryl Yanmat, who I remember as being really, really good for Newcastle yeah. a while back. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, Watford is one of the, we've sort of alluded to this already. It's kind of, they are quietly very good at football. And it, it's the sort of thing where if you, if you don't really pay a huge amount of attention to things that are going on outside the top six, mm. you wouldn't. They're necess- knocking at the door in seventh. <laughs> well, yeah, and and this is the point. You kind of wouldn't. Yeah, there's no there's no massive star names there. This this is a team that is functional, but in a really good way. Mm-hmm. That knows exactly what it's looking to do. That makes intelligent adjustments depending on the opposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where those uh, wide midfielders will play, for example against a team that that is sitting back like uh, Burnley when they played them at home recently mm. uh, those wide midfielders were much much higher and you you had a kind of average shape that was much more like a 2-4-4 whereas against teams that are looking to play through the middle they'll bring it right in they'll congest the middle area um, there's a couple of interesting things to note um, the role of, of De La Feo um, playing alongside Troy Deeney is interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because they started the season with Andre Gray uh, yeah. in the partnership with Troy Deeney. Presumably, De La Feo offers something slightly different. What are we What are we getting from those two players? Yeah, well, so I mean, Gray Gray is still coming on as a sub, um, and and is a, he's a good player. I remember watching him um, in a Brentford game a while back. Um, I can't remember who for, uh, and Burnley. he's was he not at Burnley? He was. Uh, he came from Brentford to Burnley, okay, and then Burnley on to that would be it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he's he's very. I mean, him and Delafeu do some similar things. So the the point is that Deeney is a sort of a focal point for for Watford's outballs. He's because he's a bit of a lump, right? He's very good at contesting the ball in the air, mm-hmm. but he is also a very astute player of through balls. Um, he's, good technical footballer, Troy. He's a yeah. really good footballer. He's not yeah. be- because of the way he kind of looks and and he has this big barging physical presence. He can be a bit of a shit as well. Mm. You know, yeah. he puts his foot through people and stuff. I think that can detract from the fact that in terms of being a, a focal point who plays through balls to on rushing players, he's very very good. So is he so, misunderstood a bit like Emil Heskey? Um, not in the, not in terms of that they're the same player, but misunderstood because of their physical size. They are assumed to be one thing, and actually they're another. Yeah, I wouldn't say misunderstood. Maybe kind of uh, their their pigeonholed as being one thing mm-hmm. when actually yeah. they they bring a lot more. Right. So, so what you see a lot of the time is that the ball gets played in to Deeney, who's sat back a little bit, uh, and then Watford have players breaking forwards. And one of the things that happens is that Delafeo will break forward, but he'll break forward out wide. 
into the right. Watford cross from the right-hand side quite a lot more than they do from the left-hand side. So Delafeu will kind of peel out, despite being nominally the, the one of the two strikers. And then you'll see Hughes cutting inside, you'll see late runs coming from the left-hand side, and Watford managed to create quite a lot of movement into the box, and Dini will join that late because one of the strikers is peeled wide. Um, and this this kind of... You know they're not they're, they're not that formulaic, but it is something that you see quite often happening. Mm. Um, and Dini sort of knits everything together in that central spot. You know, it's interesting. I, I kind of, I mean, one of, one of the things I'll say is that um, I've watched um, Burnley in person four times, uh, Watford in person four times this season, and each time they've been different, which is really interesting because you sort of um, you don't necessarily associate. Um, squads of that size with having that much variation so I saw um, I saw them at a, a, against Spurs at Vicarage Road when they won 2-1 and lovely day it was right at the end of summer and, and Elton John was there and they you know they had this big stirring comeback and they won with two set piece goals which kind of you know portrays them as one thing um, I saw them beat Wolves at Molyneux 2-0 I can't remember which month that was in but they were they were so astute it wasn't a big barging performance it was just you know, two great goals, Capoe scored from range, um, mm. you know, with a shot which would have killed someone if the net wasn't there, I think. You could say he hit it like a rocket man. He, 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 <laughs> oh, <laughs> Very nice. Well, there we go. He That's drafted nice. that last night and just hoping that I would... I would and, Seconds ago, mate. And Seconds then, ago. <laughs> I mean, it's poor. I do apologise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and then Pereira carved in a lovely outside of the right, outside of the left, um, shot one-on-one. But they were just so controlling. Like, Wolves... Um, Wolves at home up until that point had been absolutely brilliant to watch. They were just they were they were kind of in Sendry side with slow much movement from their wing backs, and Watford just shut the whole thing down. They, mm-hmm. they can, the, the, the wing backs were um, non factors in the game, um, and then um, I I saw them lose to Chelsea and draw with Burnley, and in their okay not so successful, but there were different facets of the game like you know Pereira's Beckham Skulls goal that sort of came from the corner for instance and you know they 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 drew nil nil with Burnley but they they created enough chances um to win that game and the mm. sort of intricate football there and it's just you, you see the different size to a football team and it's just it speaks very highly of their manager of course but it's um it's just interesting this is what i like about Watford because i think i think like you say there's there's definitely a, a greater degree of consistency and selection yeah and you know in terms of um, things that correlate with success in sport, cohesion is one yeah. of the the biggest ones. You yeah. know, if you can build particular partnerships, little combinations throughout the throughout right. the pitch. Right, and, yes, and to absolutely. me, particularly, you know, that that sort of defensive, um, you know, a central de- two central defenders, two central midfielders. That yeah. that is obviously your spine. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting to see. I mean, Dukure we've known about as being a really good player for a while, but Kapue was somebody who I. I thought when Spurs signed him from Toulouse that he would go on and be really impressive, and I yeah, well, and it didn't happen for him there. But he's coming yeah. back into it now, and and so but those I, those first few weeks with Capoeira Watford were incredible, weren't they? I mean, he, he scored like four goals in his first three games. Well, I mean, I may have misremembered yeah, that. No, but he I, was a no, big you didn't. Uh, he was he was the definitely the league's leading scorer from midfield mm. for quite a fancy football steal for a couple of months yeah that. Mm. I mean, people bore but I think, about that quite a lot. I think what it does is if, if you have that consistency in selection yeah. and you have an overall game plan that is you know there's there's pressing there mm. 
there's a degree of verticality looking out into the wide spaces where the fullbacks will push up. Um, it's where Kath- Delafeu is, is probably most useful, I'd say. Right, yeah. Cathcart hangs back a little bit more because you know that one of Gracia's problems in previous instantiations, particularly at Malaga, was getting caught out on the the counter because of the pressing. So okay. you know he's he's made these adjustments. Once you've got that basic template there, that's when you start to be able to tweak things yeah. and to to cleverly adjust to your opposition what they're doing, yeah. and then to be able to kind of create moments that will work against specific teams because you know what you're doing as a kind of general basis and I think teams that are I don't want to say overachieve because that's always quite pejorative to teams like Watford but you know if if you were to look at squad for example you'd say that that there aren't many differences between Watford and probably five six other teams where the difference comes is the consistency of approach from the manager and that sense that you know what you're getting as a basic game plan you know, compare that with what Mark Hughes was doing at Southampton, where you know the the, the squad on paper, this, Watford are a bit better, but not I, massively. You know, I'd say, I'd say Everton are the best. Ironically, Everton are good. Everton are the, well. the best example. It's just like there's, you know, you, you you change your manager so often, your transfer policy is all over the place. Yeah, well, there's no game plan. No, I, I, I have no idea what's going on at Everton. We should do that, and it would just be us sort of. Looking confused for an hour and a half. <laughs> we, should, we should we should do something on Everton set or Marco Silva's set pieces. I saw a really good stat over the weekend about how the three teams in Premier League history who have conceded the most goals from set pieces are Marco Silva's Everton, Marco Silva's Watford, and Marco Silva's Hull. Oh dear. So we we should probably do that one sooner rather than later. I mean, that thought. (laughs) Yes, yes, I suspect that. Okay. Hey, here's two Watford-related questions for you. Um, They've they've both sort of come up in, in in what you've both been saying. Now, the first one is about... Uh, their defence, and so mm. one of one of the I was reading uh, an article in the Guardian, albeit from November, I think, um, but it was talking about the difference uh, under under Javier Gracia compared to Marco Silva. The article said that statistically speaking, Watford had maintained their attacking output; they were still making the same numbers of shots, they were still converting the same number, and that was all very impressive and very very positive. The positive change that had come under uh, Gracia was in defence, mm. right? and so we've talked already a little bit about how. Uh, the team are playing quite close together on the pitch and they're making it difficult, dependent upon the opponent. I'm going to throw the second one in there as well because it relates to it. And I was thinking about this, you know, teams like Manchester City have already come up in this conversation where you have a coach or a manager who appears to want to instill one particular uh, style or formation or system or whatever we want to call it. At Watford, they're obviously, I mean, the seventh in the league right now, they're obviously very, very good. They have a very good first team, they're a very good squad. What, where, do, where, and I, you know, hesitate to kind of use the the, the, the sort of football manager thing. But where, do the, where does Javier Gracia, for example, at Watford success line up between? Is it systematic? Is it is it team? Is it? Can we say that they're the positive work they've done this season is as a result of the system that is being instilled there, or is it kind of more to do with the fact that uh, the system that has been instilled suits the players that they already have? I know it's a difficult question to yeah, answer. I mean, I think but the two of those have a go. So when, when over the summer when Richarlison and uh, Andre Carrillo left and Carrillo went off to Al-Halal in, in Saudi Arabia and um, Richarlison obviously to Everton, they, they lost two kind of much more natural wide players. And I think there was possibly a sense that Gracia was sort of struggling to accommodate... Or, or it would have been a struggle to accommodate those players within his preferred system. He certainly used a very similar kind of setup 
uh, at Watford as he did at Malaga. And in Hughes and Pereira particularly, you've got... <laughs> I can hear you. Um, you've so got... Seb's fiddling with it. What is that? Nicotine gum? I'm on this straight now. They're, they're nicotine lozenges. How, how long okay. have you been? How long have you been using nicotine lozenges? Longer than I care to admit. Fair enough, Alex. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> um, so you know, Will Hughes, who I've always really, really rated, um, and Pereira, who seemed like a, a steal when they signed him. I think from Juventus, yeah. Uh, yeah. where he was a squad player. You want to accommodate those kinds of players because they are they they have a game changing quality in terms of their creativity, but you don't want to sacrifice the defensive solidity uh, and and particularly the drive that Decore gives you. So it seemed almost that that by losing players who kind of seem like they would be very successful to most teams, it actually strengthened Watford's attempt to play a grassier system. I don't think their squad is. Amazing, and I, again, I don't mean that in a bad way. But you know, the the, the centre backs, Cathcart, Mariapa, Miguel Britos, you know, they're they're good, solid players. Prodel still there? Prodel is still there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but probably he must be thirty three, thirty four by now. I don't know, but I can tell you quite quickly. I don't know. Right? Um, he, but he's a he's a he's a he's thirty one. He's only thirty one. Um, but you know, the, okay. these are not. I would suggest, and I, again, I don't mean this disparagingly, but they're, they're not top-class players. They're not the sort of players who, uh, for example, bigger clubs in the Premier League or in Europe are, are being linked with to acquire or anything. So I think this is much more about what Gracia has instilled as a set of principles and being given a certain degree of time to work through them being given support in terms of the the infrastructure around him that Seb's talked about um, and having players that are playing to their capacity uh, and are enjoying that mm. um, there's, always, there's, there's a really interesting Javi Gracia story which I always always think about whenever I, whenever I watch Watford in that he, um, I think when he was he was managing um, Almeria in the Segunda League in the, the, the level below La Liga and he took them up and got them promoted and then resigned because I think his club's president wanted to um, to replace the entire or almost the entire first team with with a sort of a new batch of La Liga um, blooded players mm. and he refused he was like I you know I'm loyal to, to the players that took me here they deserve a chance at that level and he, he, he left in protest it's very interesting he seems to kind of um, because if you look at his career you see what looks like a very transient figure someone's had I think 10 different jobs in the last decade um, but actually kind of this, this is someone that um, breeds a sort of degree of loyalty and continuity and, and forges a relationship with players which is perhaps something that Watford haven't had you know in the past with, with, with kind of managers who came he thought as capable as they were and whatever they may have achieved in the past he thought you're not going to be here for very long I remember mm-hmm. thinking that about Marcus Silva now, I'm as guilty as anybody of overestimating Marcus Silva I mean the articles are out there to prove it if anyone wants to search them but like in him, you see someone clearly who always seems to have an eye on his next move. Like you know, if you're during your first season at at a club, you, you're able to have your head turned by by no disrespect, but a club of Everton size, mm. that's quite that's quite telling. Like uh, Everton, a, a big club, a great you know great tradition, all that kind of stuff. However, is it a job that you would walk out on a watch for at the moment? Probably not. It sort of that speaks to his personality a little bit. And I, I think Gracia is is. Um, it doesn't come across like that. He doesn't. He's not. Um, he's not a personality. At least not in press conferences. He's quiet. He's 
you know, he's dignified, he'll talk in detail, he'll answer questions properly, and then he leaves. He doesn't he doesn't look to try and uh, leave an impression with the media, mm. which is quite interesting in this day and age, quite unusual. He, and his, his playing career, he was like a very functional, tough defensive midfielder mm-hmm. out of the Basque country and played with Athletic Bilbao, but also played oh, with Real Sociedad. And, and I do sometimes feel like, I mean, I'm not, this is nothing about the fact that you would need to be a footballer to be a head coach or any kind, anything like that. But I think you can you can sometimes read into what a player was like in their career and, and where they come from as them being indicative of, of how they're going to go into management and how they're going to carry themselves. And this is not a flash guy. No. You know, this is not somebody who's looking to make headlines or, or do anything of Clearly that nature. Not. I think no. what he's looking to do is... I sort of get the sense because the the Ruben Kazan thing didn't work out for him. So. I don't I don't blame him for that. I mean, no, and I don't think anyone else does. Um, I mean, he's he it's quite it's quite revealing that he said that he would. Um, I read an interview with him last night actually when he was from I think 2016 17 when he, when he was saying, you know, I'll go anywhere in the world, but I'm not going to. He was respectful. He said, I'm not I'm not going to go back to Russia. Mm. The weather was a problem for him. The food wasn't. <laughs> and Russian football, you know, um, it's very it, up and down, isn't it? There you the, go. The investments goes in, they come out. But the same with Greek football as yeah, well. When he and was he there, was there the for a couple basket of case league, two different you know. clubs. But I, I think, yeah. I think with Malaga, he sort of he had the opportunity to build some stuff. Um, Obviously, there was some oddities around injections of cash into that club as well. But I think Watford, to him, is is an opportunity to to reapply the principles that he was developing successfully at Malaga, and to to have a sort of an investment in in the progression of a team because I think that's what he wanted to do with Malaga. I think if things hadn't you know gone awry there, he would have continued to do that. And Watford's now his chance to. Uh, that's part of why I don't think he's looking to, to kind of pop off elsewhere because there's a sense of progression uh, that he's enjoying what he's doing, and you can see that mm-hmm. the team are buying into that. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's interesting though. Like, I, I, Scott Darksbury is on record as saying that he believes in management in two-year cycles. Now, Javi Garcia um, reached his one-year anniversary in January, I think. Yeah. So what happens in a, in a year's time, in 11 months' time, if, if Watford continues to be where they are, like, it, it is, a, in effect, a, a, a challenge of their operating procedure. Because Abby Garcia he has done nothing to warrant anything other than a contract extension. Yeah. So what happens when you get to February 2020 and you know, these, sort of, um, these principles that the club seem to believe in very strongly, how does that, how does that impact his future? It's an open question. I, I don't know what the answer is to it. I just it's yeah. It's, and I it think strikes you, me as, I think as, you have to contextualize that as well against what what do Watford see as a measure of success? Yeah. Because to my mind, if Watford is finishing seventh or eighth, yeah, that's a really good ah, season. Absolutely. absolutely. And I, and I don't think it's it's particularly realistic to expect that they're going to go any higher than that without a significant kind of investment, and. Because of everything we've said about Gracia so far, it's unlikely that it, you know even if you gave him eighty million pounds, he would go and buy eight new players. That's just just not no. his scene. So, I think in those terms, you have to ask: Well, are Watford going to be one of those rare clubs that actually kind of ex- acknowledges that there is a limitation, there is a ceiling for what they're seeking to do? And that continuity and repeatedly being around the fringes of, you know, lower European Cup competition, possibly doing well in the cup, 
developing players, making a profit out of that, yeah. that that's actually what qualifies success for them or qualifies as success for them. And continuity as a manager will provide that. Well, uh, helpfully, there are a couple of uh, questions from uh, listeners now to go to that link into some of the things we've been talking about. The first two I see are from J.A. Red. Who do you think Watford needs to sign to challenge for the top six? That's probably quite hopeful, but we can go for it anyway, because the second one from Sam Hardy is, what do Watford need to prioritise going into the summer transfer window? Do they need to keep most of their squad intact, or are there positions that definitely need strengthening? Any thoughts from either of you? I mean, the top six thing, obviously, you know. Uh, well, the one that jumps out is they've got to. I don't think it will happen, but they, they've got to try and keep the Corey. I think he's very, very important. Yeah. Um, Garcia. He's been asked about this several times this season, and his answer has always has always been the same. He's like, well, he's not going to be going anywhere in January. Mm-hmm. But then beyond that, there were no real guarantees. And look, he he's wanted by some very, very powerful clubs. So well, Costa. Uh... Lebeckner, sorry if I'm pronouncing your, I'm almost certainly pronouncing your name incorrectly. Apologies. Uh, ask how important is Decore to them? Well, that that Capu uh, Decore axis is vital. I mean, you know, they're both very very good players. I mean, people forget that when, when Capu was at Toulouse, people thought of him as a successor to Patrick Vieira. Yeah. I mean, in the same way that every player in France of that type was thought to be the successor to Patrick Vieira, but he was he was you know, and he, he remains a you know. Superb one on one tackler and all that kind of stuff. So keeping Decore next to him and and keeping Decore's attributes in the team is is fundamentally important because also if they were to lose him, can they attract a player or afford a player who comes in and does the same thing? It's probably not. You're probably looking at a kind of two or three year time lag. Yeah. Um, well, another question of importance here from uh, Tifo Football YouTube channel member Jordan Anderson. Incidentally, Jordan. good man, Jordan. Hey, That's Jordan. a great example. Of that. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, for any listeners who would like to support the podcast or support the YouTube channel or give us your money, uh, you can become a, uh, a YouTube TIFO football channel member. I wish that was an easier way of saying that. Maybe we should come up with an acronym for it like Richard Herring does. You know, with Rahel Estepa on Richard Herring's podcast. What's that? TIFO football YouTube channel member. That, that's not enough like fouls. something we should have thought about before we press record. <laughs> There's no way to enough fouls in that. Tafiyagabba. <laughs> Anyway, if you'd like to become a Tafugi Bugger, uh, like Jordan Anderson is, you can click the Join button underneath any of our videos and enjoy uh, spending your money on us. Uh, Jordan what are Anderson, the benefits of me doing that, Joy? Well, I'm going to read out Jordan Anderson's question. Now, Jordan Anderson's got a cool little Subutio image, image next to his uh, name, which helps me identify him as a YouTube member. And also, I read all of their questions and we answer all of them. And one of the benefits is that once a week, Alex will spend uh, an amount of time that is not financially sensible uh, focusing on uh, (laughs) the tactics of a club which has been questioned by one of our members. And we will make a 10 to 15 minute long video. Again, not financially sensible thing to do. uh, Just because to show how much we love our members Mm. and how much Alex likes. uh, We should roll this out like sort of, you know, different layer of membership is... Yeah, you know, Alex comes around to your house. <laughs> Alex comes around <laughs> <with laughs> watches a game with you. Tells you what to look at. Brings you a coffee, yeah. sits down with you. Sure. You know. You'd like that, wouldn't you? you know, yeah. uh, but we did. Who I did would. we do like, this week? Would. Last week? Montreal Impact. Montreal Impact. Of course, it's written on the wall over there. And we've got something incredibly niche coming up this week, haven't yes, we? Yes, we have. Uh, we've, we've got a player from uh, Norway's top tier. Right. Um, <laughs> and I put out a tweet saying, oh, we're looking at somebody so niche I'd not even heard of them. And... Um, a guy who works in the, the kind of stats and, and is previously a professional kind of scout and analyst 
got in touch and was like, who is that? And I explained and, oh, I watched them when they were. <laughs> Not in a bad way, but... Um, sure. I mean, he's very good, the person we're looking at. Great. So hey, well, that's exciting, It should isn't it? be fun. Yeah. Sounds like real clickbait to me, I'll be honest. Oh, <laughs> I mean, Norwegian First Division stuff. In fact... Cynical. Apparently there's somebody in the Norwegian Second Division that's playing really well with a kind of a, a previous Barcelona youth coach or something. Sanderfjord so that's right. that's what I'm going to be doing this afternoon well listen uh, again look. if you would like to advertise with us please get in touch <laughs> uh, but if you want to become a TFO Football YouTube channel member which incidentally we do need you to because no one will advertise with us for this reason um, and you want to find out more about players in the in the top Norwegian division do click the join button underneath one of our videos anyway we've dilly dallied for too long Jordan Anderson's question uh, it's another question of importance of players to teams. I'll throw mm. it to both of you. Troy Deeney, yeah. who's always younger than I think he is. I think Troy Deeney is 40 30. years old. He's 30 years old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and clearly he's, he's important in a way beyond just his facili- facility on the pitch. Am I correct in that, Seb? He's quite emblematic in a way of, of Watford, isn't he? I mean, he's yeah, there's club no, captain. There's, there's no one who uh, enjoys a similar relationship with the crowd that Troy Deeney does. And, yeah, there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, he's been very successful on the pitch, but also, you know, Dini is an example of something that we need more of. I mean, he 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 um, he went to prison uh, as a young man. Unfortunately, he had a got caught up in a, a fight. Uh, he went to prison for I think three months, but he's really turned his life around um, since then. I mean, even you know, he's been a successful footballer, but he's also made an effort to to educate himself as well. Like he, he's obviously reformed. Uh, parts of his personality and you know whatever anger management I'm not sure not sure of the details of, of the incident which got him in trouble but I think I'm right in saying that he also he took a couple of GCSEs um, uh, after his release from prison you know when he was always a prof- where he was already a professional footballer within the security of a professional footballer's contract I don't right. need to do that so I think people like that the game will evolve and he's kind of these, these he's not a local hero in the sense that he was born there he was Born in Birmingham, but he um, he uh, in the Midlands at least he 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 sets a he sets a good example of what you can how you can recover from <laughs> adversity. And I, you know, he he's a good character in the league as a whole. Every now and again, he says something which you think, eh, I mean, I, I, his honesty gets him into trouble occasionally. I guess sort of the the, the it's example just the Ben Foster thing. The, well, it's just a few different things. Like uh, the one, uh, the, the 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 sort of the equaliser thing that came um, after they beat Arsenal a couple of seasons ago. It, I like it. I mean, I I I think it's a kind of I like characters in the game. I don't want homogenised footballers who say nothing, who work on the basis of trying not to create sound bites. Mm. And he's just himself. Mm. Um, and I think he's great. I well, think that, he's great. I mean, that was also that was effectively a tactical decision. Yeah, you know, he was. In much the same way as you could say, oh, we were looking to target their left back because he's not very good at football. He, he was saying, you know, they have a weakness yeah. in terms of fronting up physically and the effect that that has on them in terms of getting them to retreat into their shells a little bit. And we targeted that. I it, well, no, Absolutely. I, I just it, It's quite unusual to find a player who will talk so openly about that in yeah. such terms. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm i with you. I, I really admire I that. like it. I, I think he's I think he's great. I um. Football can't have enough um, people like that really in it, especially now. Uh, three-dimensional characters are good for the game. Mm. And you may not always like what Dini <coughs> says. You may not like it when he says it about your own club. And you probably don't if you're an Arsenal fan. But 
you know, the, the, the game is built on personality, really. And, mm. um, and you can go best. and fuck yourself. Absolutely. You know, like, sure. you know, would you, would you rather have, um, would you rather listen to Troy Deeney speak or would you, would you want to hear like five minutes of platitudes from, you know, someone that's, you know, talking about giving 110% and all that stuff. No, no sure. give me Deeney every day of the week. Here being the key word there, because that stuff just goes in one. Absolutely. Other, absolutely. The final question I'm going to take, and I'm, you know what, I'm not going to... Uh, thank you to Clant Pax, who uh, asked this question. I'm not going to read out quite what, what Clant said. But Clant, uh, he refers to the, fa- the fact that there were, a lot of, uh, there were a lot of snakes, puppet snakes, flags of snakes. You know, there was a woman in the crowd at Watford at the weekend with a, with a puppet snake that wrapped around her What's torso. What's a puppet snake? Oh, well, and the then, one that you can... then had her hand mm. in the head of the snake. There were, a... there were also some interesting song selections, I yeah. believe, from the yeah. stadium announcer. Well, the thing. Um, I kind of, you know, this passed me by at the time. I, 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 again, I will admit, as I did at the beginning, I really haven't paid that much attention to what's happening at Watford and, yeah. and Everton. Um, and I'm aware that Marco Silva used to be the Watford manager. So it's a good start. Can, can you explain to me why? Is he a snake? I mean, obviously he's not a snake uh, because he's a human being, and those are two different species. But uh, what's the what's the situation here? What's happening here? Two what's the uh, what's going on here with the uh, with the snakes? Is a que- one of the great questions, Joe. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we got there in the end. Is, 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 are you asking why? Why is there What's such with animosity snakes? towards Marcus Silva? That's what I'm That's asking. What want That's what I want to know. Um, What's with the snakes? Well, because uh, it, it's self-evident. Because you know, halfway through uh, a season, um, he was he started to flutter his eyelashes at Everton. They made an approach for him. It uh, it was rejected. And yet, sort of six months into a contract, he—I don't know. I—I—I I, I find it—I find it very difficult to rationalise that kind of careerist approach. I mean, you—you know—he—he'd—he'd done good things at Hull, Marcus Silva. So, in in effect, he made a bad team less bad. I mean, they went down, and mm. you know, they—they they sort of had some good results, but they were more organised. They were slightly less chaotic, and I thought he was actually quite fortunate to get the Watford job. I mean, it was quite a leap of faith which brought him there. Good club, modern club. I mean, look at some of the managers, the managers he was he was following, like Ike Sanchez Flores and Walter Mazzari have had longer careers. You know, they are uh, more celebrated managers and, and this was an opportunity for him. And yet, within a season, like you... And with the season after you've been you're supported by some you know some interesting players, Richarlison had come and he was an interesting player to be working with. And you know you look at some of like Nathaniel Chalabar got injured, but Will Hughes was there by that point. You had a great midfield, and all it took was kind of yeah, but come and manage Everton. And it was I don't know I I I, I just hmm. it changed my view of him. I mean I'm not a Watford fan, but it changed my view of him personally, and it makes his failure Everton. I mean, not enjoyable, Funny. but yeah, a little bit because it's kind of, you know, I remember thinking I wasn't at the Watford game on Saturday, but I remember thinking I want Watford to win that. Mm. I, I find, you know, I, I find his approach, um, he's like a, he, he's like a sort of modern politician who jumps from, you know, he, he wants to be in the cabinet, he'll jump from position to position to position without ever really leaving a legacy in any of those roles. Mm. It's like that. And I find that very difficult to warm to. Yeah. And yeah, this is football. So the answer to your question is, he he was sacked, but it felt like the sacking was almost false because it, it feels, in retrospect, as if he could have still been a success at Watford had he had a little bit more loyalty. Mm. And I mean, now he, he's basically not, apart from 
I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page now. Apart from at Estoril, where he managed 116 games, yeah, he's not done more than a season yeah. anywhere else since. He's, he's, a, a, he's got a sexy haircut though. He's a Michael Laudrup. That's really. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, and he did very well at Olympiacos, but then you know, we Asterisks could do well at, everywhere at yeah, Olympiacos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apart from that, you do kind of worry, and it does seem like. In that regard, Watford have gone from, you know, one side of the coin to the other. Somebody who is quiet, not kind of a personality, not charismatic in the way that Marco Silva undoubtedly is. I, I, I think he is. I think, he is I think he's got a, a certain of, flair to he's, him. He's, yeah, he, has anyone ever seen Marco Silva smile? You doesn't need to. You don't need to. You don't need to smile to be charismatic. He smiles. He he, he sort of. He he kind of smoulders. And I. Mm. I find him smouldering. Smouldering stone. Smoulder. You 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 do some smouldering. He's a smouldering stone. But I I don't know. I find it very difficult to warm. Even even when he was at Hull. I'm not asking you to warm to him. I'm just saying that that Gracia is is a very different guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and in a positive way. And that maybe part of the animosity that you saw on on Saturday was actually Mm. Watford fans kind of showing off a little bit and, and putting sure. it on a guy that, that not just abandoned them but they feel like they've got the better end of the deal mm. well so. any opportunity to wear a large fabric snake sure I would I we've would all been to parties like that yeah. more snakes and football mm. yeah. more, and you know bring back bring back the puppeteers I miss them yeah I do it was nice to see the sort of independent hand movement you know and the little, little whispering in the ear and uh, yeah with the snakes you know about the snakes yeah, yeah? so I haven't seen it. so the, the woman actually went she went Fully with the puppeteering. She, yeah, the, the the bottom of the snake, which I, you know, it looked like just some fabric, was wrapped around her torso. Oh, so she was essentially a snake. She she was a woman with a snake wrapped around her. Yeah. And then her her arm was, you know, sort of like a sock puppet, and she had the snake, and it was doing this sort of thing. I think it was tremendously. See, that uh, is, you know, I, I'm not a fan of a lot of pantomime. Uh, I'm not a fan of homemade signs of you, football. You but don't that like kind pantomime. Of no, like, not really. But that kind of commitment to, you know, you're not just you're not just bringing an inflatable snake no, to yeah. the to the. Football. You've wrapped it around your body. You've wrapped it around your body. Yeah. You've gone over a coat. You yeah. you you've gone in on it. You're sure. you're committed. Sure. Because you and can't listen, just take that off when you you know think. Oh, we're not called Tifo for no reason. <laughs> I mean, we are, but if we weren't, it would be because of the snakes. If we had the logical explanation for our brand name, <laughs> yeah. that's what it would be. That's what it would be. Yeah. Okay. Right. Listen. That's the end of today's podcast. I hope Watford fans and non-Watford fans enjoyed it equally. Uh, I don't know who we're talking about next week yet. Um, I do know that we have uh, Martino Simsic coming in, who uh, works at Copper 90, who's a sort of expert on uh, football ultras. And uh, the man speaks, you know, several languages. It's very impressive. Uh, I don't really know what an ultra is, so uh, we've invited him in, and he's going to explain it to me and you. Uh, So uh, do look forward to that next week. Other than that, uh, please become a uh, Tifa Football YouTube channel member. If you have lots of money, please advertise with us. And, uh, I feel like you've done that one too many times. Yeah, now. I know. It's made us, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. made us seem really desperate now, hasn't it? You know. But do... Do do it. Do please do, do, do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> do it anyway. Please do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks very much. I uh, hope you enjoy the videos for the rest of the week, and we will uh, be back next week. Seb, thank you. Thank you, Joe. Alex, thank you. Thank you. Au revoir.